It is the 200 level episode 70 from the basement. We're just going to call this one uncharted territory because that's what it is. We're sitting here, or I am at least on a Friday, about the time that I'd be getting ready for Illinois versus presumably Iowa. And the plan was to go to parent-teacher conferences from 8 to 11, come back home, set up things upstairs on the nice TV, and do a solo pod for the second half and post-game reaction, hopefully getting ready for a semifinal appearance in the Big Ten tournament. Of course, that's not what happened. And it has been, suffice to say, the craziest week that I can remember in terms of you know living through history, living in a moment that is far larger than any of us. We are in this sort of simulation in a movie, it feels like. It's surreal, it's eerie, it's all these things. We're picking up the pieces, and usually you would have the diversion of sports to get you through this, which I don't think that's hyperbole, knowing how important sports are to myself and to a lot of the people I'm friends with, my family, and then to all you listeners. Sports mean a lot, and we don't have that. So we're scrambling here. We're like chickens with our heads cut off. We're scrambling, whether it's for toilet paper at the store or anything to entertain us while sports are on the docket for, or off the docket, I guess, for the next two, three months. This is going to be a very stream of consciousness podcast because as I go along this hour or so, I'm, I'm coming to terms with some things myself. And all of this is heightened, I think, because as a 33-year-old, you know, you, you do start thinking about mortality. You start thinking about the things that are most important. As a married man, you know, you start thinking about people that you care for, even the dog. All of a sudden, I'm kind of like a parent. I know I don't have kids. I'm not comparing the two. But this would be different if I were, say, 22 and I were in college. There was this sense of invincibility back then that if something like this were to happen and I had been a senior in college... I would have been anxious, but not to this degree. I think that I would have felt like, well, you know, this is a, a crazy thing to live through and I'm always going to remember this. And that part would kind of excite me the same way that like a tornado warning or something excites me. But now that I'm 33 and there's seemingly more at stake and more to care for, it, it is this weird sense of anxiety that I personally have not felt in my life, not to the point of panic. And I think that's the key thing, is avoiding this sort of overriding panic where you start making decisions that aren't logical. But then on the other hand, this isn't really a logical time, right? I mean, we could try to keep our heads about us, but we're certainly figuring things out on the fly. So that part is anxiety-ridden. It is exciting in a weird way. I mentioned the comparison to severe weather. I don't know why I find severe weather warnings to be exciting. It's the sort of, oh boy, you know, things are about to happen. But the problem with this is we don't know the extent to which this thing's going to happen. And unfortunately, the numbers that bear out over in Italy, for example, which apparently has a very comparable healthcare system, it's troubling. We're seeing the numbers start to go exponentially up. And if we don't flatten the curve, as they say, I do worry about the numbers game and how many people are affected by this. Before this turns into some sort of news or health podcast, which I'm certainly not an expert on either one of those, we are going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about the Illini basketball team and try to frame this season in its appropriate context. Not being in the NCAA tournament is crushing. We were all so excited for it. In a way, I was as excited for Selection Sunday as I was for the actual games. Just to get back to that routine of 5.30, Sunday night, Selection Sunday, awaiting Illinois' name while having Monocle's Pizza. I mean, that, that was the tradition for so many years, probably you know 15 out of 18 or whatever it was for Illinois when they made it from my early years through, let's say, 2013. It was a regular occurrence. 
And now we were so starved for it, and we don't get to have that moment on Sunday. A part of me wishes that even though, yes, I know not all the automatic qualifiers were established in conference tournaments, just hold one on Sunday, ceremonially speaking, give the teams that moment. Doesn't sound like they're going to do that, and I find that unfortunate. But before we get to Illinois basketball, just sort of what, what's happened in my week, and before we get to that, a reminder that, of course, we are brought to you by DP Doe. And before I even start with the sponsors, I think it is important to remember that in the midst of all this craziness, there are people that have businesses, and in the case of small businesses, like the ones we work with, DP Doe, Fourth and Kirby, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, it's important that we still continue to support our local businesses. And these guys have been terrific in supporting this podcast from our inception. So the best I can do, I think, is remind you that when you can, DP Doe, for example, online at dpdoe.com, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. What better time than when you're staying at home, watching Netflix, watching Hulu, whatever it may be, than to order a calzone anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, they deliver. For all the best deals and prices, go online to dpdoe.com. Also, fourthandkirby.com, and I saw that the most recent shipment of the orange... Illinois script t-shirts got out, I think yesterday or the day before, just in time for the Big Ten tournament. Here's the thing, though. They are stocked, and there is no better place for vintage-inspired Illini apparel. I have a couple shirts myself. I will still rock them, even though Illinois is not in the tournament. Fourthandkirby.com, fantastic website and high-quality stuff. Where If you use coupon code 200LEVEL, that's 200LEVEL, you get 10% off. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. For all of your insurance needs, Brian and their staff, they're all Champaign-Urbana products. They know what your local interests are, and they will take care of you. Again, at brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, I look at Jeremy and Derek, and I get to come down here you know, once, twice a week for an hour, as long as I'm doing these solo podcasts, which might be the foreseeable future. I don't know. Uh, but that's easy. That's easy to just flip on the microphones when I'm so compelled to do so. These guys are running a business of their own. Unfortunately, they have a great band of subscribers. Go ahead and subscribe to IlaniInquirer.com if you haven't already. I know there's not going to be that March Madness coverage, but they are still voices that I think are important in a time like this when we don't have sports. And the Champagne Showers Podcast Network as well, including a podcast that Elizabeth Hess has on that particular network called I Have to Say. I was on it back in August, September. Um, I forget which month. She is regularly having discussions, I believe, with Julie Pride, who is part of the CU Public Health Network. Uh, so that is a great source of information in the midst of this craziness. All right, so when did this week escalate? I go back to Sunday and the amazing experience of the Illinois-Iowa game. And I did have one thought during that game. It crossed my mind, and then I just let it go. I didn't even think twice about it. Was that, you know, this might be the last time I'm in a public space for a while. This came a mere week after getting tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins. They're going to be an indie, well, at some time, but it was supposed to be April 26, in a theater. It was a week after that. And a couple weeks before that, all the Rage Against the Machine concert tickets. It's not like coronavirus didn't exist before then. But it was really all the way up until this week, I didn't consider it impacting my life. I had a couple jokes with my dad and then a friend of mine that goes to all these Dave Matthews Band concerts too, who we saw at the game. And I said, you know, if this affects summer concert season, I'm going to be really pissed off. Tongue in cheek, knowing that if it came to that, there are bigger things and more important things in summer concert season. But it did cross my mind Sunday in the middle of 15,500 people, Pack State Farm Center, the one time I had to go use the restroom and wash my hands very thoroughly, as did everybody, which you don't always see in a male restroom in a stadium. And yet we 
lived life, right? We did our thing. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. And if that is the final moment, I mean, you could have told me that night that if that were the final moment of that season, the fact that I got to experience it means the world to me as a lifelong Illini fan. And I will get later on to how if that is our final image of this team, man, there are far worse ways to go out from a basketball perspective. Monday and Tuesday go about what I was doing, and I noticed this during downtime at school, during lunch, plan period, going on to news websites or news aggregate websites and seeing the stories kind of trickle in and thinking, okay, when is this going to have a local impact? And that, of course, is inevitable. And hell, by the time I get this podcast out there, or even mid-recording, maybe there's going to be a case in Champagne That seems to be the word around the campfire, which I know, you know, rumors are always dangerous to work with. But yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, I started to sense this kind of groundswell. And I, I think we all did, but still not anticipating the full extent of it. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, went to band practice. We have a gig. We think, again, on April 18th, the first time that our band, the original band, has played in about three years together on stage. And we go to rehearsal, and we're talking about it on the way there. But again, there hadn't been anything super crazy. It certainly did have that feeling of calm before the storm, like maybe this could get serious. But at the moment, we were just having kind of casual conversation about it. We jam. Nine o'clock comes. We end the jam. We're heading home. And as the other couple guys are having a cigarette outside of rehearsal, I go on Twitter and I see, oh, NBA suspends its season. Now, from a sports perspective, that was the moment where I thought, well, we probably saw the last Alana game that we've seen all year. The Fred Hoiberg thing, that came a little bit later, but we also saw Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson have COVID-19, and I'm thinking, oh my God, the all-American actor himself, Tom Hanks, he has coronavirus. If that doesn't legitimize it for some people, I don't know what would, because out of all the actors out there, which one do we feel more familiar with or relatable to than Tom Hanks? Then I get home, and I had just I had not seen this picture that Carrot sent me, because on Wednesday night, she went to Meyer to get snacks for our road trip. We were going to go to Memphis and New Orleans. Memphis on Sunday, New Orleans Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, come back Thursday. The plan, of course, was to have a mobile studio with me on the road. So uh, Monday morning, I could do a Selection Sunday post-bracket podcast on our way to New Orleans. Well, of course, that all got scrapped. But she had sent me a picture of the, you guessed it, empty toilet paper aisle. And... I looked at that picture just before I got in the car to head home and between all the news that it broke on Twitter and between the picture of the empty toilet paper aisle, the minute I walked in the house, I looked at Kara and she looked at me and there was this mutual acknowledgement of, yeah, maybe plans will change. Maybe we should look into that. I had texted Trevor that night because he's not only a co-host here on the 200 level, but he's also an amazing dog sitter, has a great relationship with Rosie. And I texted him and said, you know, hey, we're going to make a call tomorrow. This would have been a call on Thursday about whether or not we go on this trip. 30 minutes later, after the news is continuing to just boil over and tournaments are being canceled left and right, I texted him after talking with Kara and said, you know, we don't want to be 11 hours away in case something went down. So we're going to postpone the trip. And Trevor completely understands. And we'll get Trevor back on the show once. <laughs> Again, I mean, I don't even know. Like Trevor and Isaac, I will be happy to do the show with them. But I also understand if they don't want to travel over here and, and get in contact with even me, the social distancing thing, right? It can't help but creep in your mind a little bit. Anyway, go to school on Thursday. This was no students. It was going to be parent-teacher conference day. We had professional development in the morning. 
and talk about the turd in the punch bowl, okay, the elephant in the room. All of us teachers are there for PD, but all of our minds are elsewhere. It's on what is going on, when is it going to have a local impact, when is it going to affect someone that we know. A lot of teachers I work with, for example, are in their late 40s, you know, that, that sort of age range where their parents are older. And mine are in their you know, low, mid-60s. I'm still concerned. They have parents in their 70s and sometimes even 80s, some with underlying health issues. So that anxiety that I maybe feel is tenfold for them. That's all in the back of our minds. And then right at the end of this PD, our principal just talks to us as, as a staff and says, here are some of the things the district's looking at. And there's all these contingency plans that they're talking about. And of course, those are going to come out in the, in the coming days, I'm sure. And not long after that, we get an email from our superintendent saying, parent-teacher conferences are canceled. Have teleconferences instead. And that it's probably not a good idea to bring in a bunch of parents into schools. And you would certainly be going over that whole thing of like, what, 250 people in a building at one time. We were not shocked, any of us teachers, but we reconvened at one o'clock and we got a plan. We sent an email out. We've been awaiting emails from parents, but let's be real. Everyone's mind is elsewhere. I'm not getting emails from parents saying, how did Johnny do in writing? Because they're probably just worrying about their family and their safety. They don't give a crap about writing class right now, and I don't blame them for that. So this is all escalating super quick. Of course, in the midst of this, the Big Ten tournament cancels. All the other tournaments cancel. We're waiting word in the NCAA tournament. The rumor comes out that maybe they're going to do Selection Sunday and postpone it, which I got super excited about and thought maybe, just maybe, that'll be what it is. And of course, it's not. And it's hard to blame them. Logistically, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say we're going to postpone it when in all likelihood this thing wouldn't be able to be played until very late May or June, for that matter, because this thing's not going away. And of all the things that freaked me out, though, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this, when the NBA announced that they were suspending their season, the first thought I had, because there's been a lot of noise, right? there's been a lot of takes about coronavirus that are either too panicked or they don't take it seriously enough. When any private business is leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table and they say, this ain't worth it, that's where I start to get a little freaked out. That this was clearly not a decision that was informed by Adam Silver panicking. No, this was a decision made because public health dictates it. You cannot be bringing people into environments like this and not expect an exponential spread of this disease. So that freaked me out. That was a very grounding moment. It was the fact that Rudy Gobert, or Gobert, he's French, right? The video of going around of him touching all the reporters' microphones. And if I were one of those reporters and I got coronavirus, I'd be so quick to sue his ass for being a complete idiot. I know that Donovan Mitchell, at least the reports I think from Woj, the star of the Utah Jazz, he has clear issues with Rudy Gobert after all this went down. And why wouldn't you? What a jerk to play around with diseases or viruses, even... You know, at that time, I get that it hadn't become what it is now, but it's just an a-hole move to do something like that, to touch other people's stuff and get in their space. So that was the moment, right? It was the moment through Wednesday night. All these days run together. It's been the longest freaking week ever. It was Wednesday night when everything came home and where we had to reevaluate what we, meaning me and Kara, were going to do. 
you know, we're stocked up enough, I think. We got the non-perishables, we got the beans, <laughs> things that if it came down to it, we can't leave the house for whatever reason. I think we'll be okay for a bit, but hopefully it doesn't come to that level. Because I think even in Italy, you can still go to the grocery store, though I'm sure there are certain restrictions and things in place. But there's nothing to say that it won't get there. And I think the older I get too, and I know this is a sports podcast, you start to expect a little bit more, or let me rephrase, you start to hope for more from your leaders. And when you look at how this country has handled this situation, the fact that you cannot readily get a test, Example of that, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, they might have gotten tested in America because they're famous. I don't know. But if they were Joe Schmo, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Schmo, they would not have been able to go into a clinic and get a test or let alone one of those drive through clinics that some of these other countries are putting up. Instead, they would have just had coronavirus. It would have been undiagnosed. They may or may not have just went about their lives, went out in public and spread this thing. But here we are, the richest country in the world, and we don't even have tests available for the people who need them. And that is, you know, the older I get, um, it's impossible to not lump this into a larger political discussion that the most you would, or the least I should say you would ask of your government is to protect you and to protect its citizens. And ours has failed miserably. The true effects of this, we aren't going to know. It'll be probably a month or two months from now when we get the numbers. And hopefully we do flatten that curve. Hopefully the measures taken now flatten that curve and we don't get to some absolute doomsday scenario. But we're still going to lose lives that maybe we didn't need to, all because of a lack of proaction from the government. So that that is especially frustrating. And if I had a kid or kids, I think that that would be magnified. As it is, there's enough anxiety to go around. No worries on that. Thursday night, we have a group thread and we were talking on it about the possibility of a case in Champaign that's kind of circulating around the rumor mill now and with some contacts that our friends have in the whole Carl system that no one was able to verify. But that alone, coupled with the fact that the Champaign City Council had an emergency meeting, and that was earlier this morning, where they discussed ordinances. I wake up Friday morning, and I have a list for schnooks, and I went there right at 6.15. I figured, okay, it might still be crazy, but instead I get there, it's pretty much empty. And I'm walking around this grocery store, which Karen and I go there every Sunday and do our usual week weekly trip. And we'll probably still go back there Sunday and get a few other things, but just wanted to get a few more things in case some of the ordinances, you know, one of them was no liquor sales. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, being trapped inside a house for a month, you know, doomsday scenario, and then you're out of booze. What would you do then to pass the time? So get, you know, some veggies and get some non-perishable sort of things. But as I'm walking around, there's maybe a grand total of six other customers in the place at this time. I enter when it's dark, and by the time I leave, the light's coming out. And this is going to sound very kind of spooky, and I don't know why this reminded me of this, but as I'm leaving Schnucks with my cart full of goodies, that I had to go through self-checkout, and those things only have room for like four bags. So I have four bags that are just stocked to the brim with stuff. Lucky they didn't break. Uh, because they didn't have any people actually, you know, checking you out. And as I walk outside, I see the sky and this beautiful sunrise. It's that purplish, orangish sort of sunrise. And what freaked me out is that I had a recurring dream, and it's been a few years since I've had it. I don't think I've had it since Karen and I got together, but it was this dream of 
kind of apocalyptic sort of scenario where I was at home with my family, my parents and sister, and we're all like, you know, adult age, right? This isn't me looking back to when I was a kid. I was my current age, probably in my mid twenties is when I was having this dream. And we were at home on what was a beautiful summer night, quietly having a dinner of hamburgers that we grilled out. And we're sitting in the dining room and it's a beautiful sunny summer night. And then all of a sudden, we just hear this sort of air raid siren, and very quietly and calmly, we get up from the table, and we start sort of walking into the living room, and then all of a sudden, this big blast of air, I feel it, and I don't know if it means that the house went down or what. Essentially, this was a recurring dream of like nuclear Armageddon, right? And I know this is getting really dark, but I could not help as I left Schnooks in, in this you know, era of the unknown, letting my mind creep back to this freaky ass dream that I used to have where I would wake up not in a cold sweat, but I wake up like, oh my God, not that one again. That's the worst recurring dream. So it was an eerie morning among many eerie moments that we've had in the last 48 hours and are going to continue to have as we live in this new reality that really sort of takes sports and it does these two things simultaneously. It minimizes its importance, but then on the other hand, heightens how important it is to us. The first part, minimizing its importance, is that, yes, we all understand that sports are, you know, it pales in comparison to what we're going through right now. So we can put all these things in the back burner or outright cancel tournaments, and life will go on. We got bigger fish to fry. But on the other hand, it does heighten that sense of, oh my God, sports are a huge part of our lives, or at least for a lot of people, the majority of people, I don't know, where when you take that away, all of a sudden, even myself, you know, I can find things to do. We're recording a new album. I'm chipping away at that. I come down to record this podcast that is not very sportsy, more just sort of a stream of consciousness. Here's where I am right now. But Nonetheless, I know that right now what I would have been doing instead is getting ready for the Illinois, presumably, Iowa game in the Big Ten tournament. That's gone. I think that brings me to a point about it is okay to be frustrated, ticked off, upset that the Illinois basketball season ended prematurely. It's okay. You aren't a jerk for feeling that way. That is legitimate. It is okay to have that on one hand and then on the other still acknowledge that there are bigger things at play that was the right decision for public health and and move on with that but that doesn't mean that we aren't going to look back on the season years from now and think oh my god that team what what if we just could have seen that team in the ncaa tournament maybe they could have done damage it certainly didn't help that brad underwood today when he had the press conference with josh whitman said yeah i mean i thought we had a chance and Far from it for me to say, no, you didn't, Brad. You wouldn't have a chance to win a national championship. There weren't many dominant teams. I mean, was there a legit dominant top to bottom from the beginning of the year to the end of the year team in college basketball this year? Not really. And if you got hot at the right time, and again, Brad Underwood, ugh, why do you tell us this, Brad? Said, oh, man, if you would have seen the practice we had on Thursday. No, don't say that. Don't tantalize us with the possibility of this team. I'm going into Indy, and I really liked our chances in Indy. I wish that I could have come here for the second half of the Illinois-Iowa game. Illinois wins that by six, seven points, saying, guys, I think we got a shot here. I think we can beat Wisconsin. I think we got a shot to win the Big Ten tournament. And instead, all these scenarios don't get to play out. And as frustrating as that is for myself or any other fan, I got to imagine it is infinitely more frustrating and honestly just sad, depressing almost for the athletes because 
as much time as I might put in, invest in this program as a fan, it is about one hundredth the time and effort and energy that these players and the coaches are too. So to have that taken away from them and to have that taken as fans away from us, the possible enjoyment, it is okay to be angry about that. It's okay to be frustrated that we don't get that. And it's really going to hit, I think, next weekend, next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when there's just this big, empty nothing on CBS. True TV. Think about poor True TV. That's the one thing they look forward to every year. The one thing that probably keeps that damn network afloat, and they don't even get their first weekend of the Big Ten of the NCAA tournament. Not going to happen for True TV. So there will be moments coming up this month, and I think in the next two weeks specifically, where we miss it. There will be an immediacy with which we miss it, knowing that right now at this moment on this Friday afternoon, I would be watching this, or on Sunday coming up. Right now at five thirty on Sunday, I'd be settling in. What Karen and I were going to do is find a spot in Memphis, have a drink, fill out a bracket. No, it ain't going to happen. I mean, that's the other thing, too, the, the personal ramifications. Karen and I deciding that we're just going to wait on this trip. We'll go to Memphis and New Orleans another time. It was refundable. We can do it whenever. But we certainly weren't alone. I'm thinking of all the other people that would have canceled their hotel reservations, and now the hotels they're going to be hurting. Touristy places are going to be hurting for a while. I think about restaurants, where I'm not going to be in any hurry to go out to restaurants now. Maybe I should to help support society, you know, the greater good. But there's the health concerns. I'm not going to be going out to eat all that much. Huber's Saturday trips, I don't know. I might not go to Huber's for a bit. I, I even remember last Saturday being out at the new arcade bar in downtown Champaign, Sticks. Then finally uh, tried out Wooden Hog, the barbecue place, which is unbelievable. And Karen and I are there, and I got the hand sanitizer. So after I play these video games, Simpsons arcade game, by the way, get the hand sanitizer on, all good. You know, if you're like, all right, I think that I've done what I need to do to avoid the coronavirus. But what's really frightening is the way that everything escalated within the last 48 hours. Who's to say that the next 48 hours aren't going to be that much crazier? And the 48 hours after that, we certainly had that immediate whoa moment tenfold with all the tournament cancellations, all the sports cancellations, now all the upcoming concert cancellations and postponements. Those are the whoa moments that say, well, this is legit and we're going to be kind of holed up for a while. That's a reality for, that for someone like me that I spend my extra income on experiences. I, I don't buy clothes all that much. I'm not so much for material possessions. Give me the concert that's going to give me a memory or give me the sporting event that's going to give me that thrill of being in the crowd and getting, getting to experience that. So all these things, right? You take them away and the economic impact, which you're, you are, by the way, listening to a podcast from someone who got, I think, a D plus in Econ 102, the notorious Econ 102 at the U of I, and I think a C plus in Econ 103, which was just marginally easier. But I got to think that ain't good for the economy. And I know the stock market is struggling. It feels like we are living through a moment akin to 9-11 in that that was uncharted territory as well. But it seems like, and maybe I'm looking back with some sort of weird nostalgia. I, and, and let me explain. 9-11 happened when I was a freshman in high school. Young enough to still be naive about certain things. Certainly not an adult, but going in that transition from adolescence to young adulthood. Not an easy transition anyway, but 
There was more confusion on my part than there was genuine anxiety. At that age, I still thought we're going to be okay. At that age, as someone living in Champaign-Urbana, I thought, well, the terrorists aren't going to come here. And then I remember a rumor going around, hey, we got a supercomputer at the U of I, so they might want to nuke that. Okay, maybe. Oh, we got the nuclear plant over in Clinton. Okay, okay, well, maybe I'm freaked out a little bit. But no, I, I still felt that sort of blanket of security. Things are going to be fine for me in my life. And at 15, you're just kind of naturally selfish. I'll be okay. So therefore, I'm not going to lose too much sleep. But I do remember the first couple nights on September 11th and September 12th, the anxiety of watching TV. I remember falling asleep, trying to at least, with Tom Brokaw on TV and he's explaining everything. And then finally, a week and a half later, going to the Illinois-Louisville game at Memorial Stadium. Of course, that was the Sugar Bowl team. And for the first time ever, my dad and I couldn't go back out to the car for halftime tailgating. Remember, that used to be a thing. You could leave the stadium go out and have another beer, and then come back in. No, can't do that anymore. I think all the food, you used to be able to bring in basically a picnic to that stadium. All of a sudden, that was gone. So we, we began to live in a new reality, heightened security, all of that. And it felt like the adjustment was rather quick. We didn't fly that much as a family, and I know that air travel certainly changed on a dime. But for life in Champaign-Urbana, it wasn't all that drastic. And we just sort of lived on and felt like, you know, this is such a cliche thing, but truly there was this sense of community in the aftermath of 9-11 that I'm hoping we can replicate now. And in a lot of ways, we need that more now than we did back in 2001, a sense of community and helping each other out. So that is, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind in terms of a comparison, something I've lived through that instilled a sense of anxiety and brought the nerves out. 9-11 9-11 was it until this moment. And when I hear my parents say, well, this is, this is new, I'm thinking, oh my God, these, my dad would have been, I think, early elementary school during Cuban Missile Crisis. My mom, maybe kindergarten, something like that. Was that 63, 62, 63? And they remember the air raid siren and they remember duck and cover. <laughs> That'll do it. Duck and cover. That'll keep you safe in case of a nuclear annihilation. And yet they still say, well, this is new. It's kind of freaky, you know. It has gotten to the point where it has broken down, I think, mostly any partisanship walls. You know, yeah, it had to chip away at certain ideologies and say, no, guys, this is a real thing. It also, you know, we're still calibrating on one side of the spectrum panic and on the other side of it not being reactive enough. And that's a thing that I'm battling with myself because I'm not panicked. In other words, I don't feel like I'm super on edge, but I know that I haven't slept as well as I usually do. I know that I was happy to wake up early this morning, go to Schnucks and get supplies and make sure that, okay, in case I got to stay here for the next two, three weeks, do I have enough? So it's strange, you know, and that, that is the understatement of the entirety of this podcast or any podcast I've ever done. This is strange. It's uncharted territory as the episode title suggests. And I think For me, this podcast in the next few weeks, it's going to be interesting to see, like any sports media, what do we do? I mean, we don't have games to react to. Probably won't have a lot of recruiting news. We're going to have real life stuff going on that, you know, if I can just be a bit of conversation that you can listen to, that's one thing. And hopefully it's compelling in its own way. I know it's not as fun, though, as previewing an Illini basketball NCAA tournament game. I know that for a fact. 
I did want to spend time on this podcast, though, talking about this Illini basketball team. I had a moment of frustration yesterday when the NCAA tournament got canceled and Craig Choate from Channel 3 had retweeted that and said, the tournament drought continues. And I had this weird rush of like, you know, Craig, dude, don't use that term. I mean, in other words, I thought that it was kind of, and I know it wasn't intended, but it, it felt like a low blow. Like, I know we aren't going to the tournament, but don't say the tournament drought continues. That's a technicality. It would have been over. It would have been over in grand fashion. They might've gotten a six seed. And then now you're starting to see the brackets, bracket matrix and all these other guys are putting it out and saying, well, this would have been the bracket. And then Illinois is at a six and they got Duke as a three. And you're thinking, oh my God, we could have, we could have totally done that and made the sweet 16 and beat Duke in the process. And how amazing would that have felt? Tantalizing was the word I used after Underwood said, we had the best practice ever. You should have seen us tantalizing when I see brackets and think, oh, well, we could have been watching that regardless of what happened in the big 10 tournament. We could have been watching that. So it is profoundly frustrating and disappointing that we don't get those moments in a season that was rife with moments. So let me flip this conversation for a second. I want to present to you an alternative way to look at this basketball season to give you maximum satisfaction for what we witnessed. One, we ended the season on the highest note possible. Other than winning a national title and winning a Big Ten tournament, to me, I would have loved to hang an extra banner or just put something up in the assembly hall, State Farm Center, sorry. Other than that, there is no better way you can script an ending to this season that was full of moments than to beat your heated rival, Iowa, at home in the fashion that you did with Iowa making a clutch shot and Kofi getting the game-winning block on the Big Ten Player of the Year, maybe even the National Player of the Year, or at least top three. What a way to end it. Having been there in person, that only heightens my sense of that was a moment. That's a game we will talk about. And certainly going forward, that game's place in Illini lore is going to grow in stature because it was the last game for a team that was really good. So let's start with that. Number one, you ended the season, barring winning a national title, on a very high note. Not a lot of teams get that opportunity. A lot of good teams, their season will end in fairly bitter fashion. We didn't have to deal with that in terms of an on-the-court disappointment. No, we got the win against Iowa. What a way to end the season. One more thing about that. Can you imagine if we had lost to that Iowa team and then the season's over and we got to stew on that crap? Well, guess what? We didn't. Thank you, Kofi. Thank you, Iowa. Thank you, Andres Feliz. Thank you, Kipper. Man, Kipper had an amazing senior night, didn't he? That's number one. Number two. Boy, oh boy, did this team pack a lot of moments especially in the last two and a half months of the season. The last 10 weeks of the season, post-Michigan State on January 2nd, the amount of moments that this team had. I'm going to start with the Purdue blowout wins, both at home and away. The second half, the best half this team played the entire year, the second half at Mackey Arena, where they went on to just smoke them. The game at Wisconsin, come on. You end a 10-year, a decade-long drought at Cole Center against the eventual Big Ten champions, Io again. And you were kind of just hanging in there that game, and then you had the huge final four-minute stretch where you take the lead, you take the four-point lead with Io's three, you win a Cole Center. That felt so good. It was so cathartic to finally do that. Let's look at the game at Michigan. Io, the buzzer beater, essentially a buzzer beater with .5 left. He gets the very well-contested shot to go in right about the free-throw line. That's an Io moment that will be on repeat on YouTube for years to come. 
Okay, part of his legacy. It's building. Part of this team's legacy, too, because they didn't even play that great of a game at Michigan, and yet they still found a way to win. And that was kind of the story with this team. They found ways to win, often by not more than you know two, three possessions. Okay, so you got the game at Wisconsin. got the game at Michigan. You have the two games against Purdue. You have the two games at home, which were ah, so close, but not quite, right? Michigan State and Maryland, which... The ill-fated Eve of the Moment podcast, I think that put some bad juju on Illinois for that game. Unfortunately, my whole A Most Satisfying Year put even more bad juju on this team by ending the season. If only I wouldn't have come on Monday and said that was the most satisfying year. That, that had some closure to it when I didn't need to. Maybe that added to this whole tournament cancellation thing. Uh, no, fat chance. But I'm thinking about how those two games in February, even though they were disappointments, it did announce to me the re-arrival of the rabid Illini fan base and the anticipation that built leading up to that Maryland game and then the anticipation that built in the second half of that Michigan State game after a really bad 30 minutes of basketball. Damn near won it. You didn't. But those were my indicators that that was becoming a home court advantage again. The crowds were insane. But it wasn't until the Iowa game when you had that sustained 40 minutes of game time when the crowd was in it, right? So it felt like the Maryland-Michigan State games were building blocks to firmly reestablish, oh, right, this is what an Illini home basketball game is like. But nonetheless, I'm going to throw those in there because we did get to have those two moments of you know, big-time basketball, you're on the national stage, and I know we didn't answer the bell in either one of them, but I think next year and the years after that, we will. I think that those were essential for this team to eventually have the run that they did at the end of the year where they won five out of six, starting with the game at Penn State. When Isaac and Trevor were down here in the basement, Illinois goes on to win that game with Io coming back after just one game away. We thought the season was done, Io was injured, and I tried to talk myself into a, maybe we'll find our way to the tournament, but... No, Io came back after one game and led you with his best performance of the year. Among many great performances, the best one of the year at Penn State. You go on this run, you beat Indiana, another rival at home by two in what was a close game. You beat Iowa again by two at home, your heated rival, and now that thing's back. And I'm thinking we packed so many moments into the last two and a half months of the season where I cannot, I refuse actually, to let the lack of an NCAA tournament dim my feelings about what this team did. It is truly the most, you know, out of your control, can't do anything about it situation. We're helpless here. And the sense of helplessness that I feel as a fan that, you know, right now I'd be watching Big Ten tournament action. I don't even want to think about how bad those guys are feeling over at the oven, the players, the coaches, because, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears to use, to use that cliche. And maybe the tears waited until yesterday, but I know that Brad Underwood had said, that it was a very emotional locker room when he had to deliver the news. And imagine that, you know, this, we say uncharted territory and we're talking about life, but also from a sports perspective, Brad Underwood having to do something that he's never had to do before and hopefully never has to do again. Hey guys, great year, but it's over because of a virus. And that is a conversation that doesn't matter how much he's getting paid. That's going to be one that I would think he wants to block out of his mind for the rest of his life. I imagine he looked around the locker room and he saw 12 guys or 15, if you include whatever, 15 guys plus the coaching staff. And they're all looking at him with probably the absolute most forlorn, heartbroken faces imaginable for guys in that position. And that is regardless of what you're passionate about. 
in their case, sports. In my case, music. I'm trying to think of what a similar situation would be. Decadence gets a break, and we get a big opportunity at Coachella. Oh, wait, it's canceled because of coronavirus. Sorry, guys. Maybe our whole dreams and aspirations, they're on hold indefinitely. And that's, I guess, apples and oranges, but I would imagine that'd be a gutting feeling, right? It would just be absolutely helpless. I feel for them. I feel for Illini fans that have been starving for that moment, that don't get to have that moment this year. But that's why I think it is essential that from an Illini basketball perspective, we try to look at this season and frame it in our own way. And it would be accurate and it would be realistic. It would be with context that despite not being in the NCAA tournament, this was a wildly successful year. And the way I want to think about that is when you get into November and you had the first home game coming up, the anticipation for that game is not going to be any less because of what happened here with coronavirus, with COVID-19. No, the anticipation is going to be there just as much. When this thing goes away after however many months, right? And when we can look back on this as a moment in history, talking about COVID-19, in October, we're still going to be getting pumped again for Illini basketball season, and it's been a while. I know that before this season, some people did get excited, and I think that was coming from a place of being so hungry and so starved for success that some people force themselves into thinking, this is it, we're going to get it done. And unfortunately, the first two months of the season did not go so well. It didn't give you a whole lot of indicators that this thing was going to turn around and they were going to go 21 and 10 with 13, 13 Big 10 wins, five of them on the road. But it did. And as we look back, whether it's in November or we look back 10 years from now, which is really the measure of a memorable season. I look back at 99 for a team that won, I think, 11 or 12 regular season games. And one weekend, one weekend in March made that a memorable team. So if I can do that for the 1999 team and their Big Ten tournament run, I can certainly do that with a team that gave me two and a half months of enjoyment. I say that you would say, well, why not the whole season? Let's be real. If you were listening to 200 level back in November and December, I was none too pleased with what I was seeing on the court because it just lacked rhythm. It was disjointed. It felt like, I don't know, guys, is this thing going to work? Well, it did. It ultimately did. And it worked spectacularly in a very unique fashion. This team was workmanlike. And they didn't always win in a sexy fashion, but tell you what, they had enough swagger and they had enough toughness to get that thing done. I know that John goes, toughness, togetherness. Well, no, I don't want to go that direction, even though he had a great year and I feel bad for John Gross and Akron, that they don't get a chance to win the MAC tournament and go to the NCAA tournament themselves. Here's the other thing, too, that somewhat tempers the emotion of disappointment and keeps it from going overboard into just full-on sports depression. 67 other teams are in the exact same boat as you are. And there are teams like, you know, listen, no one's playing a small violin for Kansas, at least in Champaign County, but they were going to be front runners for a national title. So imagine if this happens back in 05, we go 29 and one. And then right before the big 10 tournament, sorry, guys, it's all off. I mean, listen, could it be worse from a sports perspective? You bet. Doesn't minimize the frustration and the pain that we feel as fans and they feel as players. But I think that now that you got all these guys in the same boat, 67 other teams are feeling the exact same way that you do, and some of them even worse, like a Rutgers, hadn't been the tournament as a program in pretty much 30 years. Penn State, another long drought. You know, there, there's frustration all around, but then it all comes back to why are we doing this? 
And it's because we are in unprecedented times and facing something that we don't know how it's all going to shake out. But all the experts tend to think that this is going to get worse before it gets better. It's not going to magically go away. The frightening thing is that for probably a month now, because of the lack of testing, there's a bunch of people walking around with COVID-19, passing it around left and right. They don't even know they have it themselves. And then when we finally get the test, supposedly late next week, and we start getting the diagnosis in, that number is going to skyrocket. I don't know what's going to be for me professionally. You know, they talk about maybe online learning and some kids have access to it, some kids don't. I got to be honest, from purely selfish reasons, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this, work, and I, I know that teaching is a very important thing, but right now I think just getting everyone healthy and figuring this thing out takes precedent over all. Now, if we all operate it like that, then yeah, society, it's going to take a major blow and businesses and the economy, it's going to continue to get hurt by people just kind of you know hunkering down and not going out and doing what they used to do. But that's kind of the reality we live in. And I hope that the people that are in charge can find some way to lessen the burden of a lot of Americans who, whether it be uh, the job that they have or the small business that they own, are going to be facing some very dire situations. There was a moment on Wednesday night, and this is after Fred Hoiberg was collapsing on the bench, and it, the writing was on the wall. You know, the, there was not going to be a Big Ten tournament, and in all likelihood, not an NCAA tournament. And because there was sort of like a 24-hour period there leading up to the ultimate decision, it made the news a little less painful when it came out. I mean, it felt inevitable, right? But on Wednesday night, there was a series of tweets from Robert from Lion-Eye. And he was talking, well, do I go? Do I not go? I mean, I really want to go and all that sort of thing. And I had this moment and I don't know if I, I don't know if I regret it or not. I, I don't actually now that I think about it, where I said, stay home. You know, is this some sort of troll job? You know, this is not about you or anybody for that matter going to cover a tournament game. It's clear the way things escalated the two hours on Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. that traveling to see a basketball game is not even secondary or tertiary. It's just don't do it. Don't. And that they were already recommending no fans anyway. So why put yourself or anybody else at risk? You know, we're all fans. And we all wanted this. But there are bigger things in life. And I know that's such a cliche to throw around. And it's not going to make anyone feel better. It doesn't make me feel better necessarily either. But there are bigger things than flexing your Illini-ness in a moment like that. Acknowledge the moment. Acknowledge the real-time history that we are in and living through and say, that doesn't really matter right now. Whether or not I go to the tournament game, what matters is figuring out what we do with a pandemic and a situation, the scale and the scope of which we haven't dealt with since, what, the Spanish-American flu in 1918? You know, people can talk about mortality numbers. The case fatality rate is estimated anywhere between 0.6%, which I think is what South Korea has with the most testing. 3.6 is the high end. That would be absolute disaster. But even at 0.6%, and if 30% of Americans contracted this, you're still talking 800,000 people that die. And we can talk about how heart disease and diabetes and smoking and drinking and all these other things lead to a lot more cumulative deaths over the course of a year. 
But back to that title of uncharted territory, we are dealing with the virus that we don't know how truly infectious it is, how many people truly have it right now. And because of all these unknowns, why risk? Why risk something when you don't need to? If you have the ability to stay home and stay healthy, why not do that? And then as a society, we're going to have to figure out how do we help those that can't afford to stay home? How are we going to make sure that all the kids that go to Jefferson, for example, that require the school lunch and the school breakfast, how are we going to make sure that they're fed? These are all questions. And it's, I tell you what, it's great timing for spring break from an educational perspective. They need this time to figure out what they're going to do because you have Ohio, Maryland, and Michigan already canceling classes, Washington state, I think as well. And it would not surprise me at all if I'm not back in that school myself for another month because of either a state mandate or something from Champaign School District as well. But again, we don't know. And the way things escalated in a two-hour period on Wednesday night and the way things have escalated in a 48-hour period since, you know, as much as I love sports and as much as I was able to conjure that up for some of this podcast, I am far more concerned with just making it to the summer and being able to look back on this pandemic as, okay, because we took action now, even if it's a little bit later than it should have been, because we took action on March 13th or that week of, we were able to stem the tide and we were able to keep that many more people from dying or becoming infected with it. That in May, when this... The nice weather comes out. We can actually go about our daily business and go to concerts and go out and do things again without fear of contracting this disease and spreading it to our loved ones. You know, if I'm out of my league or over my head in some of these topics, that's fine. This was really spitballing and coming down here and using this platform as a bit of catharsis on my own to talk about the anxieties and the fears that I have with this that I, again... I don't think are panic, but we are still at the beginning of this thing. And as the numbers come out, it's going to take a little bit of willpower on my own to not consistently be watching TV news and consistently be plugged into Twitter and consistently be plugged in the Champagne public health website to see what the new caseload is or how many, the first person that dies of COVID-19 here in Champaign-Urbana. You know, some of those things are inevitable and I, I hate that. I hate that, you know, we can't just flip a switch or take a pill, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. Or that a vaccine's not going to be here for another year or 18 months. But for what we can do and what we can control, I don't want to be responsible for other people getting it. That's why Karen and I, we talked about, you know, we could go to New Orleans, and yeah, we'd probably be fine, but you know, here we come back as a 33 and a 29-year-old, and we pick it up at some bar on Bourbon Street, unbeknownst to us, and then we bring it back to Champaign-Urbana. We don't want to be those a-holes that do that, no. Um, and also the fact we can do that another time. And that's the hope, right? You know, short-term pain and hopefully long-term gain. Take care of it now. Um, easy for me to say. You know, as a teacher, it's easy for me to know that I'll continue to get my check every two weeks and same for Kara working at the university. Um, we are so lucky in that regard that we don't need to face some of those unfortunate realities that, tens of millions of Americans have to face living paycheck to paycheck. And they require that money every week or every two weeks just to get by. So whatever our people in power can do to give them a bit of relief or give them time on these bills or whatever, you know, like freeze evictions. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a politician. I'm just kind of throwing things out there, but hoping that when we come out on the other side of this, we are not decimated. And I'm not talking about, you know, mass casualties, even though that's a possibility, but 
just as a society, we aren't in some sort of, you know, back where we were in 2008 with the recession. And if you would have coupled that in 2008 with, you know, damn near a million deaths because of a pandemic, I don't know. Um, I, and I say I don't know because I really don't. There's a local radio personality that often would muse about something and then say, I don't know. And that always bothered me because I'm thinking, well, you do because you're saying your opinion and then you just kind of soften it by saying, I don't know. No, truly, I don't know. And none of us really do. And when we come back next week for another 200 level, I mean, we'll keep doing this. And and in some ways, it's for selfish reasons so I can talk through it into a microphone and get some thoughts and feelings out there. Um, But at this moment, I don't. And by the time this gets uploaded, there may be some new breaking news about something or the other. And um, the the next step in terms of anxiety and nerves will be when it hits here in Champaign-Urbana. So the final thought I guess I would have is, you know, be safe, wash your hands, yada, yada. You've heard it a million times. You're probably already doing it. But truly be as safe as you can. And, uh, you know, keep your loved ones close and I don't know, I guess just simplify, right? If anything, something like this does sort of recalibrate all the little minor frustrations and issues that we have day to day. It minimizes that and makes you realize, okay, well, come on. I got my health. I got people I care about, people that love me and I love them. And that is what you hold close in a moment like this. Not physically. Remember, you got to be six feet apart from each other. But (laughs) uh, you do hold them close and all those important things are really magnified in a situation like this, which hopefully we don't have to deal with for another hundred years. Or was that the last pandemic? I know H1N1, but that, see, back to that point, I was 2009, a senior in college. It felt invincible. Continue going out to the bars, continue going out to eat. uh, And it didn't bother me. I wasn't, in my mind, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to spread to anybody. H1N1, whatever. This is a lot different, right? And maybe it's the age thing. I'm sure that 22-year-olds right now, they're heading home for spring break and they're like, cool, man, you know, we online classes when we get back. But then reality sets in, I think, and it's only going to continue to do so when more news comes out, more numbers come out, and we are facing a a very new reality. So in this new reality, I I do encourage you again, this is going to sound terrible transition, I understand this, but I I do mean this. DP Doe, 4th and Kirby, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, cool enough to support this podcast from the outset. And if you can, please support your local businesses. I'm going to continue to do so myself the best that I can. We went to Cactus Grill last night, uh, one of our favorite places. And we have a bakery down the street. Want to support them. Want to support DP Doe, of course, as we all face this new reality. Uh, Fourthandkirby.com. You can buy t-shirts now, even if there aren't tournament games. And you can use coupon code 200LEVEL to get 10% off any order at Fourthandkirby.com. And you know what? Now that I'm 33 years old and understand the realities of life, I value experts. And for insurance needs, there's no one better than Brian Hansen, who's above all a great guy and, of course, appreciate his support of the podcast. But State Farm agent Brian Hansen and his entire staff, they're Champaign-Urbana products. So if you have any insurance questions, and in this time, out of all times, you probably have a couple, brianismyguy.com. So thanks to all of them. Alana Inquirer, and I'll text Jeremy at some point. Sports website. Well, there's no sports. So what do we do? I'm still figuring that out for the podcast. It's weird reality. But a lot of you already support AlanaInquire.com. And I would encourage you to continue to do so. Even if you don't have a membership right now, go ahead and get one because you get one now a year. It will take you through next March Madness. And they will be in the term of next year. 
And of course, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network on Twitter at 217 Showers. There's actually one that just came out, another 217 Showers Podcast. Champagne is also a band. I hopped on there to talk about my music. And we played a song of ours from Decadence and then talked about it and other music stuff and just other things in general. So between this hour and then I think an hour and a half podcast over there, plenty of carp for you to listen to as you're holed up and trying to avoid the dreaded COVID-19. All right, we will come back next week. How? What will we talk about? I don't know. It's my spring break. I'm staying home, so I can just kind of come down, flip on the switch whenever. But I truly want to thank all of you for, if you got to this point in the podcast, wow, kudos for listening to a non-sportsy Alani podcast as I broach subjects that I'm nowhere near expert about. But thank you for listening in anyway, and stay safe and stay home if you can. Um, try to balance that with supporting your local businesses, whether that be, I saw a great idea, buy gift cards now. Buy gift cards that you know you're going to use later. And uh, that will help some of these businesses get through what will probably be a rough month or two. But most of all, take care. And we will see you next week. It is the 200 level. <laughs>